I want the Executor Health Podcast to be your go-to source for guidance on navigating the intricacies of estate, legacy planning, and how to handle grief and loss, and hopefully finding strength in unexpected places. In this episode, we have the privilege to have a conversation with Emily Throw Thread. Join us as we journey through Emily's life, marked by profound loss, resilience, and a deep exploration of what it means to embrace our own stories. Discover how dancing, writing, and yes, even the Hallmark Channel can play unexpected roles in our healing process. Get ready to be inspired by Emily's unique perspective. Learn how to better support those going through grief in your own life. So let's get started. This is the Executor Help Podcast. Learn how to settle an estate, pick an executor, and avoid family fights. For more information, go to davidedy.com. Now here's your host, David Eady. With me today is Emily Thoreau Threat. Emily helps people understand how they can grieve and be happy. She's also the host of the Grief and Happiness podcast. And she's also an author of two books, one of which is her most recent one, Grief and Happiness Handbook. Emily, thanks for taking the time to be here today. I really appreciate it. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Before I pushed uh, record, we started to have a conversation. And usually I ask people, you know, where in the world are you? You're in a pretty unique place because you're talking to me from Maui. And recently, the whole world has heard what's going on in Maui. So my first question is, how are you doing? And, you know, how are people coping? This has been an incredible experience. I think nobody anticipates that something like this is going to happen in their lifetime. People have, I think, kind of an idealized notion of Maui because it's such a beautiful place and it's considered very romantic and people come here from all over the world. We don't have that many permanent residents. It's mostly, it's like, I think around 180,000 permanent residents, but we have a couple of million uh, visitors here at any time, except for right now, because when the, the fire hit, initially we asked people to please leave because of the limited resources and because the fires were so out of control. You can imagine that we we don't have that many firefighters because we don't have that many fires. And things like uh, the Hawaiian Islands are food insecure because we're the most remote place in the world and we don't grow enough of our own food. So when something like this happens, it's it's a different kind of emergency than it is anyplace else. So what has amazed me the most that I I have been just thrilled with is the compassion and kindness and love, the, the Aloha spirit, Aloha means love that we've been experiencing here on the Island where everybody just, they don't question anything they just go what can i do and they figure out how to do it and one of my first concerns was food uh for the people because there were a couple of thousand people who lost where they lived it's gone not only their their house but their post office and their grocery store and their jobs and everything was just gone and so i was i was concerned about food and I had just had a birthday on on Facebook. You can do a fundraiser for your birthday. And I'd raised some money for my nonprofit organization through that. And that just flashed into my mind and said, I could, I could ask for money for food here. And so I did, I did a, a fundraiser on 
Facebook, where all of the money that's raised goes directly to the nonprofit that you raise it for. And I raised it for the Maui Food Bank. And within a few days, I'd raised $6,000 wow. on, uh, on just on Facebook and heard from people that I haven't heard from. I mean, all the way from people who went to kindergarten with me in uh-huh. <laughs> different different places throughout my life. And lots of small donations, but it added up. And $6,000 wasn't even a dollar a piece for all the people that needed food, but it was a significant amount. And everybody was figuring out a way to do something to help in a way that they were comfortable with. And everybody who lives here has been helping in some way. And it's it's beautiful to see. And before we, you know, like I said, before we pushed uh, record, you also told me, yes, you, you've helped people, you know, get the donations, but then you actually opened your home to, to, uh, to a family. Um, how did that come about? Well, I, I have a, an apartment in my home and I have a, a, beautiful young lady that that lives here but she was visiting her parents on the mainland and she called me just a few hours after the fire started and said that her best friends had to evacuate their home and they had two dogs and two cats and while there were lots of evacuation centers that people could go they couldn't take two dogs and two cats with them and she said, can they stay in my place I said sure so they're still here <laughs> and they most of their neighborhood burned to the ground not too far from where I live, just a couple of miles away. And they their house wasn't burned to the ground, but all of the foliage around it was burned to the ground, which is significant because they have a steep hill right behind them that was covered with these big, beautiful trees that were well rooted into the soil and they're all gone now. So if we have rain they're they're going to have a problem there but they they had a lot of damage even though the it it didn't burn all the way down there was lots of damage and so they've been dealing with that since the fire and what's their what's their mental their their mental health right now how are they doing they're doing the best they can it's it's not easy and they're very nice people just just very kind people but then i i found that most people who had anything to do with the file fire i'm not seeing any nastiness <laughs> over right. here people are just being kind to each other and they're they're working really hard to do what they do and they're a young couple and they support themselves by um He's a contractor and she works for him and they they do things all over the island with building and repairing and creating things. And so they they have had no problem having more work than they can ever handle on top of trying to get their own home in order so that hopefully they'll be able to get back into it. Wow. Well, I I think it's an amazing thing. Um, You're starting to see the human spirit, people helping other people. I know it's hard today where people don't seem to be coming together, I guess, but I guess when push comes to shove, people, special people such as yourself will open up their hearts, their home, and also get other people involved to help uh, other people. And that's, you know, how we're all going to probably survive as a, well, not probably, how we're going to survive as, uh, as human beings is just to continue to help each other. We're having that conversation and you're, you're seeing a lot of grief and happiness. And in your case, get you to the place where you are today to, you know, have a podcast, have a book and also have your alliance. Well, it's kind of a long and winding story, but (laughs) I started being really involved in grief very young. 
when I was 13 years old, my father uh, obtained an ambulance company. And in order to get it, we, we traded our house for it. So in the, the month that we moved in to the house where the ambulance company was, which was a, a small house, and the house faced one street and the ambulance company faced the other, and we shared a, a backyard. And my mother and dad and I, me at 13, ran the company together uh, 24-7, answering, uh, answering and dispatching calls. And at that time, you only had to be 14 years old and have an advanced first aid certificate to be an ambulance attendant. And my dad was the first aid trainer in <laughs> the community. So I went on my first call when I was 14 and had um, on my 14th birthday and had uh, multiple fatalities and a head-on collision with two families on that very first call. Wow. And that same month, my sister, who's much older and lived in another town, had a baby. And my mother's mother, who lived where we did, died. So all that happened all at once. And I was very close to my, my grandmother. I'd spent much time with her growing up. So I started looking at death in, in a different way than probably anybody else would because of the, the different kinds of death that I was experiencing and started thinking about it very young. And I've had several careers throughout my life, but the, the one that I did most of was teaching writing at the university. And I have always found writing helpful to me and I've written a, college, a couple of college textbooks, and three, actually. And after I had two husbands die myself, we, we had moved to, to Maui with the, my second husband who died uh, two years before he died because he'd lived here a long time before I knew him. And this is where he really wanted to come back and be because he loved this place more than any place else he'd lived. And it was a beautiful place to come back. And when we were here, we kept running into people that he'd known 30 years ago. And as I said, not that many people live here on the island. So it's kind of interesting that we kept bumping into uh, friends. But when he died, it was like, okay, now what do I do? I had my whole friends network and everything on the mainland, and I just wasn't sure. And having had two husbands die, I wasn't really sure what to do with myself at that point. So since I'm a writer, I just started writing about it. And I wasn't writing for anybody else to read. I was just writing to explore my thoughts and uh, feelings and explore what, what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. What's my purpose now. And in doing that, I kept finding lots of things that I was writing that really helped me when I wrote them. And I thought, you know what, I'm a good writing teacher. Let me just find people who are grieving and teach them the kinds of things that they can write to help them deal with their grief. And so I, because I didn't know people on the island who had had someone die, I just put a, a note on Meetup, right. a, an app where you can invite people to participate in something and said if you would like to learn how to write to help you deal with your grief come on over to my house and they did <laughs> I had a great group of people that just showed up at my house and we did that until the pandemic started and unfortunately none of the people in the group were computer people they didn't want to do it online they said when when this thing gets over we'll get back together so they were, more pen, to paper. They were more pen to paper yeah it, 
Yeah. And, oh, okay. and, uh, and they liked the being in person to, to visit because we always had tea and cookies and things when they'd come over. And okay. we, um, I decided I'm just going to take it online. So I did. And about six months after my husband died, his really dear friend on the mainland, who was a lot younger, his friend used to call him dad. So they were, their age difference was that big. He just dropped dead one night on his way home from work. And I was so concerned for his wife because she still had a daughter in high school and one that just had started college and they had no idea that he wasn't going to be there and were not really prepared at their age for an event like that to happen. So I thought I've got a supporter, but I'm so far away. They just lived a couple blocks from us on the mainland. So I decided I would write her every week for a year and if something supportive, I would write to her and mail it to her in the mail. So she'd get it in the mail, not just, I, I know how emails pile up for me. I wanted it to be special. Right. So I, I I knew that they liked Maui. They'd been here to visit us a couple of times in the short time we'd been here already. So, I, and I take pictures all the time uh, with, with my phone, takes pretty good pictures. So I thought, I'm just going to put a, a picture that I took of Maui, a different one for each of those 52 times on the front of each card, and then write her something from the heart that could help support her and give her something to think about or write about or do that was related to her grief for 52 different ones. And I I thought, yeah, well, this is a really good idea, but before I commit to it, I better make sure I've got 52 things I can say, because <laughs> that's right. a lot. <laughs> So I sat down and over a couple of days, I wrote out 52 things. And I thought, this is really cool. I really like what this is. And as a writer, I looked at it and I said, this is an outline for a book. So that was the birth of my books. Uh -huh. the, the first one has 26 chapters and the second one has another 26 chapters. So they, between the two of them, they cover all 52 different things right. to think about and do and deal with while you're grieving. So clearly, you find writing as being very cathartic, helping people mm -hmm. process grief. Are there a few specific writing practices or exercises that you find particularly effective to help people? There's a lot. <laughs> right, right now, something that I've evolved into, I should tell you about the happiness to help put this in perspective. Right. After the, the first book was published, I, I thought there's there's something missing here because I know I don't want to focus all my time on grief. I'm grieving, yes, and I will grieve for the rest of my life because I've got lots of people there in my heart, my parents, my sister, my husband's friends, you know, lots of people have gone before me. And I I want to be able to focus on living in addition to on, and I thought happiness is what's missing. Um, Marcy Shymoff wrote a book called Happy for No Reason, and She's she's fabulous. And I had read that after Jacques died, my, my first husband who died. And I thought, I'm I'm gonna look up Marcy and see what she's got, you know, online about this. And it turns out she had a, a training course to become a happy for no reason certified trainer. And I thought, I'm gonna do that because I need some happiness in my life right now. <laughs> so I did a fabulous program. And what I discovered is Marcy has has presented all over the world. Uh, she's a several time New York Times bestseller for her writing. And I thought, 
and and what she does is if when you get certified in her training program you can use any of her the materials that she's developed with her blessing to help spread happiness in the world and so i thought i'm i'm going to incorporate that in there and i thought a good way to do about it because i like to talk about it was to create a podcast so that's where my grief and happiness podcast came from and my online writing group evolved from just writing about grief into the grief and happiness alliance where we write about positive things every week and we get together and do that and they learn a happiness practice every week and and we I did a pilot program for that because when I first was saying grief and happiness, people said, those two words don't go together. <laughs> I said, yes, they do. That's the whole point. I did a pilot program. They feel guilty about being happy when they're grieving. Yeah, that's what I was asking. Looking, yeah. Is that what you were going to say? I was going yeah. to ask you. They, 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 they don't match, but you, know, um, you figure if mm-hmm. this grief is what you're going to carry with you for the rest of your life. And there's no light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. Yes. And and they, they feel that, that happiness is disrespectful because how can they be happy when their loved one died? Yeah. And I say, what would your loved one say to that? <laughs> you know, I'm sure that my loved ones would say, I would love for you to be happy. I, and that doesn't mean we love each other any less. It, it enhances your life to be able to be happy. So anyway, I did a pilot program and the people who came to the pilot program, I said, you know, I really don't want to charge because they all like the the program said you you should do this. And I said, the only problem is it does cost me money to do it, but I don't want to charge anybody to do it because it just seems like people shouldn't have to pay for happiness and support. And so they said, well, we'll just develop a nonprofit organization and we'll pay for the expenses. So they know that there is value here. It's not something for free it's being paid for by people who care about them having the opportunity to uh explore grief and happiness so that's that's all the different things i do and how happiness worked its way into the grief you discuss the concept of unconditional love and how it can be challenging to achieve could you share some maybe some practical steps or strategies that someone can use to cultivate and practice unconditional love, probably for themselves or for others during the grieving process? The unconditional love is probably the most important thing in my life. And I, I wasn't always that way. It's it's really easy to say, well, I'd love him if he'd do this, you know, <laughs> or we could have a better relationship if he'd do that or she'd do that. And that's that's not unconditional love and unconditional love is where no matter what the love remains you can get upset with each other you can have different experiences you can whatever it is you can have but that doesn't mean that you stop loving someone and when i realized that i it took me a while but what i was doing every day in my journal i would write i love and am loved unconditionally And the more I kept having that in my mind and having it as my intention, it just kind of naturally started flowing into my life. And I'm, I am honestly can say now, and and people question me about it, but I'm happier now than I ever have been. And I know a lot of that is based on the fact that there's no room for negativity and hatred in my life. I, I focus on, on loving on happiness, 
on kindness, on integrity, all, all the things that, that make life beautiful to live. It, I know you so clearly are a big proponent of writing and journaling. Do you find that is for people that are going through grief, it's a way to channel how they're really feeling and maybe what they're going to start out is a lot of sadness and that it'll, it'll hopefully transform into seeing the the positive side to life. And, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I feel like I keep cutting you off. I don't mean to do that. I'm just no, so no, excited about not. answering no, your questions. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, one of the things I tell people is that their story is very important and when they can get comfortable with their story, whatever it is, and most of us have lots of stories, but when we get comfortable with them, then they become just kind of a part of our life instead of what we're focusing on for our life. And I'll, I'll give you an example of that. When Jacques, my first husband who died, first got sick, uh, we were married for 22 years and he got sick around our fifth wedding anniversary. And he, all of a sudden, he was in the hospital and having open heart surgery and it, it was shocking. Nobody anticipated that. And when people would ask me, well, what happened? Well, I would start out, well, on Saturday, he was really cranky. And you know, <laughs> I went through the whole story. It would take me an hour to just do what I thought was the, the brief story that they wanted to hear about what happened to him. And I found that each time I told that story, it got a little shorter. And finally, I got to the point where I could say, well, he it turns out he wasn't feeling well. It turns out that he had uh, to have open heart surgery with seven bypasses, which I didn't know you could bypass seven things, but he, he did. And that uh, he's doing so much better now. And I'm glad we caught it when we, when we did. And my story, story had shrunk from that never ending. Well, this happened and then this happened and then this happened because I found that I didn't have to say it all. I incorporated it into my life and I could start focusing on what was good about it. And I realized that people really, as much as I thought they wanted to know all those details, they really didn't. <laughs> And, you know, if they wanted to ask me questions about one of the details, I'd be happy to answer that. But as the more we write about something, the more we speak it. And in uh, Hawaii, there's something that they do called talk story. And it's it's how how all their traditions, their lore, their families, everything is passed on through talking. And you get together to just talk story. And that's what people do. So telling your story is kind of like our, our talk story here. And the more you tell it, the more it just becomes part of you so that you have room for something else, for, for more in your life. And do, does the, through the grief process, does your writing evolve? Absolutely. Uh, that you start to write about more happy things or are you being more retrospective about what happened in the past and it's bringing up stories of, um, the loss of of a, of a loved one, for example, where when do you feel that, or when do you in, in some of the exercises you might suggest? When do you see people to start writing about happy things? It it evolves, and what I do like on on 
when we get together on our, our Zoom meetings is I will give them a prompt and they will write about it. And those prompts, it's a different prompt every week. And it's whatever comes to me that week that we should write about. It's not say in your grief, you, you know, it's not like that. It's, it's something that can be different each time. And they, there's a big discovery process there. And in doing these different little exercises and we, we talk about whatever they wrote right afterwards and we'll break, like break into groups so that we can, everybody gets a chance to talk and share. And the more different kinds of things they explore, the more different kinds of things they want to explore. And as I said, with my big long story about Jacques Hart, they'll find that, that they don't have to relate everything to their big story that started things out after a while that they they just can move into exploring other things and exploring how they feel and one one of the things that that I do I still do I'm sure will always do is letter writing and I'll do I'll write letters to people that I know that somebody that I care about that's dealing with grief not not just send them I can't say not just send them cards because I think the cards that I do are are significant for them to get. But when you get a personal handwritten letter, that really helps. And sometimes something will come up and I'll go, oh, what would Ron have said about this? Or what would what advice would Jacques have given me or my parents or whoever it is? And when that comes up, I'll just write him a letter and I'll tell him everything I, I wanna know uh, what my thoughts are and anything related to it. And then when I get finished with that letter, I'll get out another piece of paper or I usually do this in a journal. I'll write a letter from them back to me, whoever it was. And in the process of writing that second letter, generally the answers come out. Now, I can't tell you that my husband guided that letter or that, you know, it, it came from on high or, or some other source or whether it just came from inside my heart, whatever it is, turns out to be what I need to hear right then. Okay. And it's it's so incredibly helpful. Now, we talked about, you know, because grief is such a powerful emotion that, you know, it, it overtakes you. But I know you talk about the importance of self-care and you also talk about how to take care of yourself uh, what what are some of the strategies because at some point grief becomes overwhelming so what do you what can one do to you know fight back that uh the feeling that i'm being overwhelmed i don't know where to go how to get started um i feel like i'm drowning in part two, we explore strategies to fight back against a feeling of being overwhelmed and connect with our emotions through the power of dance. Tune in as Emily shares her ex personal experiences and provides valuable insights on navigating grief. Don't miss out on this empowering and healing discussion with Emily Thoreau Threat. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. To catch up with all the latest from me, go to davideady.com. There you can follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next time.